raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The 99th edition of the Four Corners podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty and the double team, gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Matthews off the mark. And this year, the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys tonight. We're going to get you ready for Carolina at NC State this Saturday. Up in Raleigh as Carolina finish is, is closing out their ACC slate with just three games left to go before we get to the ACC tournament. We're going to give you a look at the Wolfpack, update you on some stats regarding Carolina, go back and look at that very first matchup between these two schools, and, of course, give our keys to the game and pick the game. But we start every edition of the podcast, as we always do, with our pod thought of the day, and that takes us back to our the first matchup. We remember, Roy Williams was honored at halftime. Also, the 1982 National Championship team, was in the building as well. And during Roy Williams's halftime um, ceremony, he addressed the crowd. And we all know Roy's disdain for NC State. And he let it be known once again, as he told the Tar Heel faithful and directly to the players in a lot of ways, um, let's beat that team in red a hell of a lot more. And uh, couldn't agree anymore with that. We know what goes into this game. Um, even though this, it's a lopsided record, it is a rivalry. Um, it's 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 state Super Bowl, especially this year because this team is not going anywhere. So a win over Carolina usually makes their season anyway. But when they're having the type of year they're having this year, it'll be even more so. And and we know the environment we can expect over there in PNC Marcus Page Luke May Arena. Um, it's going to be hostile, but. This team has won three straight games on the road in three different unique environments. You had the game at Louisville where you had stuff being thrown on the court. 
You had the game at Clemson, which is always just unique for a variety of different reasons. And then you had last Saturday that win at at Virginia Tech, which is the best win of the season so far. And um, I think Carolina has learned how to win and play on the road. And they're going to need to carry those uh, experiences over into Saturday because even though NC State isn't very good, it's going to be a difficult afternoon to get a win on the road in the ACC. So speaking of NC State, they come in with a uh, rather unimpressive 11-17 and 17 record. They are 4-13 and 13 in the ACC. That is second worst in the conference. Um, and it hasn't been the type of year they wanted to have. Manny Bates getting hurt really, really set them back a whole bunch. They haven't been able to overcome his absence. Um, their lone bright spot's been Darren Sebron, who leads their team in points, assists, rebounds, and steals. Um, if the If the record wasn't the record that it is, this guy would rightfully be right up there for the ACC Player of the Year with an Alondis Williams or Apollo Bancaro or even Armando Baycott, for instance. But it's going to be really hard to to put a guy who's who's on a losing team to this magnitude and make him the ACC Player of the Year for a team that's not going to be participating in any postseason tournaments. And this team has lost seven of eight games. And with that losing streak, Anthony – has brought upon the question of, of Kevin Keats and whether or not he deserves to be fired. Um, he's been on the job for six years now, and in his six years, the, the Wolfpack have made one NCAA tournament. And I, I, I know I know that we both hate NC State, and we don't have a lot of positive things to say about, about the Wolfpack program, but um, they deserve better because they've got a rich history, a rich tradition of basketball excellence within the ACC era. Um, and right now, he hasn't lived up to that. And, um, you know, we, we, we've heard different reasons as to why he should be fired and different reasons as to why he should not be fired. But one thing we know for certain is Carolina has seen this with Louisville as well. When you're playing for a coach, that's usually one of the more dangerous teams to play against, let alone that team that also happens to be one of your biggest rivals. <laughs> Yeah, and and I think it's going to be a huge element in this game is is a team that's going to be coming in playing motivated for their head coach. Um, I, I think you're you're right in that you know NC State deserves a better head coach. This is a team that uh, and a program that yeah, as you mentioned at one time before uh, you know Mike Shashevsky got the Duke Blue Devils to where they are at. This was Carolina's biggest rival. Um, and it was justified because this was a pretty strong basketball program. Now, here's the thing. Nobody should be feeling sorry for this program because they've done it to themselves. And that's well known throughout all of college basketball, not just locally, um, that they have pushed some guys out that have had a lot of success before because they felt like they could have more success. Um, But yeah, this one, it it, kind of seems like at this point, I'm not going to say he comes into this game as a lame duck coach, because I still think there are probably people that are going to fight for him and, and and try to give him another shot with, with what, you know, they, they've been through over the past couple of years. But I think there will definitely be a, a level of desperation. And, you know, I don't know how much this really saves his job if they win this game because even still, you know, unless they find a way to close out with 
three straight wins in, in ACC play, this team is still probably going to finish um, with, a, with a pretty gross record in the ACC in a year where uh, you, you wouldn't have expected that with how down the ACC is. But they do have a chance to you know, still get a win over uh, you know, Carolina. So Carolina's got to come out motivated, and, and, and they still have Wake Forest there as well. So I think there will be a, a, an element of this NC State team that you know, maybe we haven't seen in a, in a while, which is a team that will be playing you know, with a little bit of desperation for their head coach. Um, but, hey, the thing is, is, look, Carolina's got to sort of match that as well um, in terms of their level of desperation because this is still a scenario where – Carolina's got to win these next two games without a doubt. In, in my mind, look, there's a scenario where you can lose one of these two games and he could still make the NCAA tournament. That involves you beating Duke. Yep. I, I don't think that's – look, can it happen? Yes. And, and it's going to be a tough sell for a lot of people, but Duke is not the same team – at home that I think a lot of people expected, but still you do not want to have to leave it to that game to be a must win for you to make the NCAA tournament. So they've got to take care of, of these two games. And that comes with playing up that level of debt of desperation that I think we've seen from Carolina in these last two games, they haven't been pretty wins, but Carolina's gotten the job done and they've won two grinders because you can tell that they are playing with a little bit of extra motivation and it's showing primarily on the defensive end. They've got to be able to do that in this game as well against an NC State team that without a doubt is going to go down fighting for their head coach, Kevin Keats. As for Carolina, they come in with a pretty good-looking record. They sit at 20-8. and eight. Um, Hubert Davis, just a fourth head coach in the last 25 years to win 20 games in his uh, first season on the job at an ACC institution. Um, that's more wins than both Dean Smith, Roy Williams, and even Frank McGuire had their first seasons on the job in Chapel Hill and Carolina right now sitting 12-5 and five in the ACC. That's, that's good for third, which is important because that means as of right now they'd get a double buy into the ACC tournament, which means they would only have to win three games in three days to win an ACC tournament championship, um, which would, of course, automatically qualify them for the NCAA tournament. Uh, they are five and two since the first matchup with State back earlier this month. Those losses or those losses coming to at home to Duke and at home to Pittsburgh. They still have four players averaging double-figure scoring, led by Armando Baycott. And the Carolina basketball Twitter account just tweeted out a stat a few moments ago as we're recording that uh, Armando in, in conference play is averaging 14.1 rebounds per game. He's the first ACC player in the last 25 years to average 14 rebounds per game in conference play. The last guy to do so, Tim Duncan. And if you, if you follow – ACC basketball back at this time at Wake Forest and what he did in the NBA with San Antonio Spurs, arguably the greatest power forward in the history of basketball. So to have Armando Baycott mentioned in that same breath is pretty spectacular. And the last thing. Right. He, I mean, he is going to be the next generation's Tim Duncan. I mean, that's exactly what, what, what we're heading towards at this point. 
Yeah, he's going to be the NBA equivalent power forward that I was as a church basketball league point guard. Oh my gosh! I mean, in in all seriousness, though, I mean, we talked about heading into the season how you needed guys to step up on the glass because this was going to be a different look that Carolina was going to have this season. And I know, look, the rebounding numbers aren't quite as gaudy as they've been in the past. You got to hand it to Armando Baycott because he he took that and ran with it. Because even some of the guys that were rebounding the ball well early in the season, um, you know, Brady Manick was was producing a little bit better on the glass early in the year. He's dropped off a little bit. Um, Dawson Garcia, of course, is is not out there at this at, at this point. And even before then, you know, his his production sort of fluctuated. Um, and it really started to tail off actually a little bit uh, the later that it got into the season. So I think he, he deserves a lot of credit for stepping it up on the glass and, and keeping Carolina as one of the better rebounding teams in the ACC and, and really one of the better rebounding teams still in the country. Yeah. And the last thing about Carolina is as of this morning, um, Joe Lenardi put out his updated NCAA tournament bracket on Twitter and Carolina still sitting on the last four in. Um, so even with that quad one win they got last week at Virginia Tech, their seed line has kind of fluctuated from last four in. They were on the 10, uh, the 10 seed line earlier in the week, but with other teams around the country doing things in a positive way, of course that's going to affect Carolina's seeding, which brings us back to what we, we already – we basically knew after the Pittsburgh loss was that you couldn't afford any – any bad losses the rest of the way without putting yourself at a significant disadvantage to make the NCAA tournament. And um, a loss at NC State, uh, a loss at home to Syracuse, those would be deemed bad losses. You take care of both of those games, you go lose to Duke, or, or if, if you go lose to Duke, and even if you go one and done in the ACC tournament, you're most likely going to find yourself playing in the NCAA tournament, probably in Dayton, but you'll still find yourself competing for a national championship. You lose, you lose to state, you lose to to Syracuse, and you don't beat Duke, and you don't make the ACC tournament final. You might be in the NIT, which would then classify this season as a massive disappointment. So, let's go back to the very first matchup for these two teams, and. Um, Carolina was coming on a stretch where they had those three games, those three home games within a week, and they really busted out against NC State in that that final home game that week, beating the Wolfpack 100 to 80 in a game that wasn't even that close. Carolina led 56 to 31 at halftime. They led by more than 30 points for the majority of the second half, and this was the best we saw Carolina's offense look all season long in a lot of different ways. Um, they had four or five starters scoring double figures. Caleb Love had 21 points in 28 minutes. Um, Carolina shot 55% from the field, 56% from three um, in the ball game. And then defensively, even though they gave up 80 points, State only shot 39% from the field. They did shoot 40% behind the three-point line, but that was a team chasing points from the get-go. So it wasn't overly shocking that they made as many threes 
as they made. I don't know if Carolina can replicate that same level of offensive success this go around because we've seen how different Carolina looks on the road as compared to home on the offensive end of the court. I think the biggest thing that we're going to want to see from Carolina is, you know, you go back to that first matchup, I told you don't let Sebron beat you because the other two guys can't. And Helms and Smith combined to score 59 points. So they've got as bad as State's record is, and it's not pretty, they've got guys that can hurt you and, 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 and can beat you. So I think the formula is still the same, though. Control Sebron because he can impact the game in a variety of different ways and make their other guys make plays. And if their other guys make plays – then I'm not going to say you live with the result, but, hey, you it, it'll probably be on that day you got beat by a better team. But if if, if, C, if you allow Sebron to control and dominate the game, which he's more than capable of, then I think they have more of their hands full than what, they, than what we expect them to have on Saturday. Well, the good news for Carolina is that he's kind of disappeared here at times, you know, over the past – few weeks in, in, in some of their bigger games um, and, and by bigger games with them being on clearly out of the NCAA tournament. Uh, it's just events against some of the better competition. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I see what you're saying. You, you, in this one, you cannot let Jaquavian Smith have 34. Um, and, and you can't let him in the combination of Helms really dominate you the way that they did um, start, you know, as for, for the most part in that second half, because I, I know that this is not a good defensive team for state. I, I think there's a legitimate chance that they could have a pretty solid scoring night again. I don't think this team's going to score a hundred points again on, on, on this state team. Yeah. Um and, and with the way that they're playing offensively right now, I think you can justify that. And that's in large part because of what we've talked about here over the last few weeks. Um, and especially touched on in the last edition of the podcast when we were recapping the game against Louisville. This team is fatigued. There's no denying that. Now you've got to battle through it. There's nobody that's feeling sorry for you. But that's one of the main reasons that this team is not producing at the level that they produced earlier in the year offensively. So you've, you've got to be able to slow these guys down a little bit more. Sebron's definitely going to be the focus. There's no doubt about that because when he's on, that's when this team has their most success, but Carolina needs better defensive efforts from start to finish on Turquavian Smith and Jericho Helms. Helms, I think, is going to be more the challenge because, again, we know that Brady Manick at times can be a little bit of a liability on the defensive end of the floor. And right now, he's probably putting the majority of his energy into the offensive end of the floor. And it's hard to blame him at this point because Carolina needs him on that end of the floor. And he's a guy that is playing right around 33 to 35 minutes a night. There is not much breathing time for him in game. So I, I think overall, this, this is a team that Carolina should be able to beat, especially with the fact that 
this is this team's going to be even thinner than the last time that you played them. Thomas Allen is supposedly out for the season. Um, that that was something that uh, I guess was reported the other day. Somebody that I know that follows State a little bit more in depth than I do uh, was saying that earlier this week. So, I, I, I mean, Carolina, th- this is a deeper team than you, but it's still not going to be a super deep team. Um, so so Carolina's got to be able to, I, I think, slow down the guys that can hurt you overall um, and, and make some of these other guys – beat you may Casey Morzell beat you um Cam Hayes beat you off the bench because the last time those guys really didn't contribute anything it was the two it was the duo uh of Smith and and Helms that really got you yeah no you're definitely right and I think uh I think Carolina will be more keenly aware of those two guys and make the game harder on those two guys to beat them but uh you know, the I, other element is is really you got to hand it, especially to the guards. They they've been stepping it up here in these last couple of games. They've they've the effort is there. It's just can you execute it in this game? Yeah, and and I think that's going to be the thing. I think think since Pittsburgh, we've been a little bit more trusting of this team because Hubert Davis kind of called them out publicly, and I think this team has responded and. They look like a team that knows what's on the line and what they're playing for. And for the for the the majority of the season, we didn't see that from this team. And I think that light switch might have finally come on for this group. And it's it's been a joy to watch the last couple of games. So we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna get you this week's ad from DraftKings. And then when we come back, we'll give you our keys to the game before we pick the game ahead of Carolina NC State on Saturday. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy, available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hoops fans, the latest offer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is too good to pass up. I'm talking between the legs, 360 windmill good. New customers can bet just $1 on any team and get $150 in free bets if they win. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still take your shot at a big day payday. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Basketball Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code TBPN. Bet just $1 on any NBA team and get $150 in free bets if they win. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 21 older Minimum age and location requirements vary by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details for a list of requirements and state-specific responsible gaming resources. Voidware prohibited. Minimum $5 deposit. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER in Tennessee. Call or text the Tennessee red line at 1-800-889-9789. In Connecticut, call 888 888- 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. Hey guys, Anthony here. Make sure you head over to the website, check out Josh's recap of the Louisville game that we were just talking about here. Um, we, he's got some great insight on how Carolina was able to pull out the victory 
over the Cardinals 70-63. He'll also have a preview of Saturday's game against NC State going up. On the football side of things, Mac Brown had a pre-spring press conference today. We'll have the takeaways from that, and we'll also have weekly storylines once again for some of the other off-the-field stuff that you guys should be keeping an eye on. Really hope you guys are taking great advantage of all these great offers I've been giving you over here on the Four Corners side of things. Same for Anthony over there on the Heel Tough blog side of things. So let's dive right into our keys to the game. And the very first key is something we talked about earlier in the show when breaking down NC State and the emotion they're going to play with, with their if they're playing for Kevin Keats to be their head coach next season, which is to match their intensity. And, um, buddy, you've been around the rivalry just as long as I've been. We know what the environment's going to be like in PNC Arena. It's going to be it's going to be hostile. It's going to be loud. They're going to spend two hours trying to make life as difficult as they can on Carolina, um, because a win over Carolina on on their home court would salvage what's what's become a lost season. Um, and in the first game, we saw Carolina match and elevate their intensity level way past NC State. And it was the most animated we saw Hubert Davis at that as at that time as our head coach. He was I'm not gonna say he wasn't into all the other games, but you could just tell the emotion from him was there in that game as a guy who played at Carolina and played in the rivalry. It's always hard though to go on the road and do it because it's just such different. And a lot of these players haven't seen this environment. Luckily, they went to Virginia Tech last week, and they kind of got a taste because Virginia Tech, especially when Virginia Tech is good, it's a tough place to go win. But NC State's a different animal because of the way their fans act in that building, and we'll just leave it at that. So the biggest thing for Carolina is to match the intensity level that they're going to bring. And if they do that, Carolina's got more talent. They may not have more depth, but they've got equal depth. And as long as they they show up and play for forty minutes the way they need to play, they're going they they should put themselves in a good position to win on Saturday. So, uh, this would be the equivalent of a turnover, I guess, for a podcast host here. I I I did not state I, this clearly enough when we were laying this out. My the, the way I looked at this, I think that the intensity needs to be matched for Carolina to what they did, w- what they brought in the first game. That That's where I was kind of going with this. I, I'm with you. They've got to match the intensity that State's going to bring. And I think they are going to bring a lot of intensity, as I mentioned earlier, with this game being in PNC and, and with them more than likely having to play for their head coach. But I think Carolina needs to look back at what did we do in that first matchup that allowed us to be as ready for that game and as excited for that game as we were. I know it's going to be tough to recreate that because, one, you're not at home. Two, you're not honoring one of the two best coaches in your program's history and, frankly, one of the two best coaches in the history of college basketball. But at the same time, you've, you've got to be able to find what, what motivated you for that game and, and bring some of that, at least, to this matchup. Because if you come out with that same level of intensity, 
and punch this team in the mouth early. We, we've talked about how Carolina's a team that doesn't fight back. This state team is not a team that, that fights back, um, especially not as of late with the way things have been slipping. And, you know, when you have those types of teams that are struggling that badly, when you come out and put them in a, in a deep deficit out of the gate, it's hard for them to rally themselves and get themselves back on track. And it's hard for you, you know, fans in, in that building to try to bring the environment that you need to be able to get back into those types of games. So I think that's going to be one of the focuses of Carolina. And you know, I think the other thing is, is it's not only the players. I, I think the coaching staff needs to bring that same intensity that they brought to that first matchup as well, because as you mentioned, that was the game where we really pointed out, hey, look, this this is the most emotion that we've seen from Hubert Davis so far. So you need to see that again in this matchup as Carolina looks for another one. And, and, and I, I get it. I get it. If you look at the records, you're going to say, how do you label this as an important win? But every win for Carolina right now is extremely important. So you've got to bring that same intensity and realize just how important this game is against NC State, not only because it's a rivalry game, but because it's for you to stay in the hunt for an NCAA tournament berth. The second key to this game is something that we saw in the first game defensively break down for Carolina really in that second half was contain the dribble drive, and that's a big reason why State scored 49 points in the second half, and they were able to make 10 threes because Carolina couldn't keep them out of the lane. The defense collapsed. The ball got kicked out to open shooters behind the perimeter, and State's got enough guys that can make perimeter shots. And this has been something that really Pittsburgh was a letdown. Carolina didn't bring any energy in the on the defensive in the court that game. But you look at what Carolina did the last two games at Virginia Tech on Saturday, at home against Louisville on Monday. And you mentioned they were grinder games because Carolina won those games more with their defense than they did with their offense because they competed hard for 40 minutes. And they, mm-hmm. they did – I mean, they still had defensive breakdowns and stuff still went wrong, but the effort was there. And as long as whenever Carolina has been able to stay in front of the ball this year, their defense looks somewhat adequate. It's when they can't stay in front of the ball or they don't stay in front of the ball is when everything breaks down and this offense is given up points left and right. So um, we know state's going to try to attack them downhill because that's Carolina's weakness is, is being able to stay in front of the ball and being able to make everything collapse and get the ball outside to Hellam Smith, Seabron River on the perimeter and make stuff happen. So um, I, I think if, as long as Carolina does a good job keeping State out of the lane, the defense should be in a good enough position to hold them to a, to a, a respectable point number in this in this ball game. Yeah, and I think the thing is, is that this hasn't really been a major issue for Carolina here lately. Um, you know, you mentioned the Pittsburgh game. I thought for the most part, Carolina did a good job of containing the dribble drive in that game. It was more of the fact that turnovers and points in transition were killing you. And guys really from the outside, mainly Ithiel Horton, were just making tough three-point shots. Um, but th- this is this was one of the things that we talked about the first time that these two teams met because – with Sebron, with Smith, those are guards that have the capabilities of, of, of driving the basket. Hellam's athletic big. He has the capabilities of driving the basket as well. 
the reason that this remains a huge key for this team is because when we've seen these strong backcourt duos paired with an athletic big man, they have really hurt Carolina on the dribble drive. Notre Dame did it to Carolina. You had Wake Forest who did it to Carolina. And, you know, even to a certain extent, Miami, that was more of a three-guard system that really hurt Carolina. But especially in those games, and I think Wake Forest was probably the worst, you saw these extremely athletic and aggressive guards drive the basket and were able to finish inside. Carolina's done a much better job of containing that. And you've also had Armando Baycott really sort of realize that he can be that rim protector that Carolina really hasn't had in a while inside. Now it comes and goes, but when, when teams really try to make it a focal point, he's responded here as the season has gone along. So I think Carolina for the most part has handled that well here recently, but against the type of talented guards that they are going to face in this game, which I think is something people have to realize. You, you brought it up earlier that, Look, Darion Sebron's numbers would probably have him in, you know, in, in the running for ACC Player of the Year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, let, let's call a spade a spade. This team stinks. So, <laughs> I, so he's not going to be in the running. But at the same time, people have to realize that their backcourt really isn't their issue. That's probably the thing that gives you the most hope if you're an NC State fan, and it's probably one of the reasons you would want to keep uh, Kevin Keats around. But, you know, and, and that's one of the things where if you're not careful, that, you know, they, they can catch you back there. So Carolina has to be prepared for that, and their guards have to do a good job of containing the dribble drive, which, as I mentioned earlier, I think the guards have been, you know, guarding better just overall. So I, I, I think they're apt to do that. They just have to execute it. The last key to the game I have written down for Carolina is get the ball movement on offense. You go back to that first matchup, 17 assists on 34 made baskets. I'm no math major, but that equals out to 50% of your baskets being assisted on. And Carolina – in the last couple games, they've moved the ball well. Some shots haven't fallen because you've dealt with tired legs and stuff like that. But you know State's going to – they're going to press you. They're going to trap you. They're going to pick you up full court. They're going to do all different si- uh, sorts of things on the defensive end of the court. That's how Kevin Keats wants to play. And that's how he thinks his, his team is best suited to win. So Carolina's going to handle all that. And when they get into the half-court offense, not settle and play isolation one-on-one basketball, move the ball around inside out, side to side, make them, you know, defend every action you're going to throw at them. Because when you when Carolina's done that, we've seen this offense for you know execute at a very high level. It's when they haven't is when they've had to win games defensively or. Or, you know, ultimately they, they're able to lose games. So I think as long as Carolina comes out with the right game plan on offense with the ball movement and stuff like that, I think that'll give them a chance to have a pretty successful night on the offensive end of the court. 
Yeah, it, it's an element that's kind of been there in every game where they've really had these offensive outbursts is that they've moved the ball extremely well and assisted on a lot of their baskets. And, and even in the games where Carolina hasn't been great for uh, the length of the game offensively, Carolina's moved the ball pretty well at times, and that's what's allowed them to go on sort of these runs. I, I look back at the game against Virginia Tech. They had that stretch right before halftime where they were able to extend the lead to 10 on that R.J. Davis three. And they had three straight possessions where they moved the ball extremely well to get really good looks. And that's something that they've got to realize in this game. Hey, if, if you move the ball, this is a team in, in NC State that, look, they are fatigued as well. I think for them it's probably more mental fatigue than anything because these types of seasons wear on you. Um, I mean, geez, we're 20 and 8, and this season's wearing on us as fans. So I can only imagine what then as players as a podcast host. I mean, I can only imagine what those guys on a team that is 11 and 17 and just lost to Boston College. Uh, I, I can only imagine what those guys have to be feeling. So it, it, it's kind of a a matter of breaking their will on the defensive side of the ball with what you are doing. And I think ball movement will, will definitely help you do that um, because, you know, it's, it's, it's worked throughout the year and it gives you better looks. And you, you, the other thing is, is again, we, we've talked about it so much where it goes hand in hand. You, not only do you have to move the basketball you have to move your body when you don't have the basketball way too many guys especially here over these last couple of games are really just stagnant and and again i understand this is a team that's fatigued it's hard to expect that every possession but i think as i said earlier if this team can come out and establish an early margin, it's going to be hard for a team in NC State that is struggling the way they are to try to fight from behind. So I think you need to come out of the gate hot, come out of the gate moving the ball well, moving without the basketball well. And if you if you give that effort for the first half on the offensive end of the floor and can establish – you know, a 10, 15 point lead in this game. I'm not saying that you should stop doing all those things, but if that was to deteriorate a little bit in the second half, you would feel much more comfortable with where you're at in this game. So maybe one of the, you know, maybe one of the keys as we're talking through it here, I think one of the other keys that people will have to look at in this game, Carolina's got to get off to a fast start as well. And if you do, that's going to help you in so many different areas, especially with how tired this team is at this point in the season. Carolina enters the game with a 69.2% chance to win, according to ESPN's College Basketball Power Index. If they were to win, that would make it um, the fifth ACC opponent that Carolina would have swept this season. It would improve their record of twenty-one and eight and thirteen to five overall. But um, 
this this is going to be a challenge, I think, more so than we probably want to admit because of the, the disdain we have for the Wolfpack. But Carolina's won three games in a row on the road, and I think that matters. I think this team has adjusted to playing in front of a hostile road environment after the last year's COVID year and the majority of these players not being in those situations. I think this team is maturing week by week, game by game, even though it's been an up-and-down season so far. And I, I really I really feel good about the last two games, even though they weren't the prettiest wins. Carolina was finding ways to win, which is right now the most important thing for this team. And I think that's what they're going to do on Saturday. I think it's going to be as easy as it was the first time we met, but I don't think it's going to be as ugly as it's been at certain times for Carolina this year as well. I think they go into Raleigh, and despite it not being under Roy Williams, I think they get another road win at PNC Arena. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, you know, first of all, I will never pick NC State or Duke on this podcast. Just can't bring myself to do it. Um, and frankly, at this point, I don't see how you could ever pick NC State in this rivalry because, well, they they they, they simply don't win in this rivalry, um, which isn't much different from what they do throughout the rest of the season at this point under Kevin Keats. Um, or their whole entire yeah, athletic department. I, I, I mean – it, it, this, I, I, I'm, I'm with you in that I have a feeling that this one will not be as close as some of the recent games. But I'm, I, it's tough to be overly confident because Carolina has just played so many of these games recently, and this is this is a team that's that's really trying to just get to the finish line of the regular season. I think at this point. Um, because of how thin they are, you know, depth-wise. But I, I think, you know, th- this is a game that just for some for, for some reason, even though Toriel fans have said for years that this is not a rivalry, primarily in basketball, this this team always seems to get up for this game. And, you know, I think the, the there is an element that, you know, you, you have to look at – uh, with, with Hubert Davis, that look, he was a guy that coached under Roy Williams and has a lot of respect for Roy Williams. So you would imagine that he probably picked up on some of the disdain that Coach Williams had for NC State, and that's probably something that he is carrying over um, in terms of trying to bring that same mindset. So I think this team will come out motivated. Um, I think that you know they they will realize that this is an NC State team that it could be pretty easy to break their will early on. Um, I don't think that this is going to be the type of game that we saw the first time. I don't think Carolina will be up by 30 at any point in this game. Um, but I feel like they'll be, you know, for the most part, you'll feel pretty comfortable about where Carolina is at, um, you know, after the first few minutes of the game. And I think Carolina will pull out the win on the road over NC State, one of their more comfortable road victories of the season. You can catch that game on Saturday at 2 p.m. over on ESPN. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. But before we let you go, we do encourage you guys to go to the website, HeelToughBlog.com, for the latest 
Carolina football and basketball coverage. And to check out the podcast, you can find us on every major podcasting platform. Simply just search the Four Corners podcast. We'll pop up. You can like the pod, review the pod, but most importantly, we do encourage you to hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any podcast throughout the remainder of the basketball season. Well, this is going to wrap up this edition of the pod. I want to thank Anthony for staying up late to host with me. I want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com to find the best basketball podcast. Raise a spoon to Grandma, who always took all the hungry cousins to McDonald's for McNuggets and the Play Play Slide. Have something sweet in her honor. Come to McDonald's and treat yourself to the Grandma McFlurry today. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And participate in McDonald's for a limited time.